Welcome back, Bulls Nation, to another episode of the Nothing But Bull podcast. I'm your host, Derek, and as always, I'm here with my main man, Justin. Justin, what's going on? Nothing much, just fleeing a hurricane here, um, but we are we are safe and sound. That's always a good thing. A little bit frustrated from the night before, but we are, we are safe. That is good to hear, and of course, we have Melissa. Melissa, how's it going? What's up, Bulls Nation? What's up, guys? How are you guys doing? You guys, you guys feeling good? Yeah, we're feeling great. <laughs> well, at least I'm feeling great. Um, we are safely where we need to be. And, um, you know, I, I always, when I come back home to my parents, I always, like, feel this sense of calm. Mm. Uh, have not, you know, we have, like, supplies here and everything. We have food here. But it's like the little things that you lose track of. Like my parents have this very high toilet and it makes me feel like I'm a gargoyle when I'm sitting, like sitting on top of a, perched on top of a building. So (laughs) it's the little things that bring me a sense of comfort. I know you weren't probably expecting that, but that's (laughs) the things that- I mean, somehow it always, these conversations always make their way back to the washroom (laughs) or the bathroom or the restroom, whatever you want to call it. Are you, your parents probably pretty tall? Yeah, my dad, he played point guard in college. So he's like six foot one and I'm six foot two. My mom is probably around like five, five, six, five, seven. And um, Keisha's pretty tall too. So Ariel's tall. So we are a tall family. With a tall toilet. <laughs> yes, it is amazing. Like you don't understand the difference it makes being a tall person and having a tall toilet. You're right. I don't understand. Your body doesn't concave or, you know, press in. And I'm sure that that's like conjuring up more thoughts that people probably don't (laughs) want to have, but we're all family here. That's right. (laughs) Yes. I never really know I'm there. Um, oh man so uh, you guys are safe that that's like the main topic of discussion is your safety and not the hype yeah well you know the thing is like um when i was at school i was talking to people about our plans and i was like look we're getting out of town and people were like looking at me like i was crazy i'm like oh it's it's not going to be that big big of a deal and of course these are like some of the same people who like when COVID first hit they were like oh it's not going to be that big of a deal you know it's a couple of people who are getting sick in other places nothing's going to happen here and you know the years have passed and we see what has happened and um you know um I don't know the history about the Tampa Bay area I know being from South Florida the many hurricanes that we've gone through um, we've had friends who were like greatly affected when Hurricane uh, Andrew hit in um, the early 90s. And um, I remember my parents going places or going to that area because they were helping with some relief efforts. And, um, you know, the stories that they had and the 
some of the pictures that they had, it just looked like a war zone uh, had happened in that area. And um, so like when hurricanes hit, like I don't take them lightly. Um, and I know that the Tampa Bay area, they said that nothing really in the past century, but you know, anything can happen. You have to be prepared and you have to be ready to make moves. So I talked to uh, my wife a um, couple of days prior and I just laid out the plan. Like we're going to get out of Dodge, just go to safety. Um, and we were having a little bit of frustration because there was a certain someone who was acting a certain way who will remain nameless. But um, and I had to get real with them too. It was like, look, I don't mind leaving you here. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons why, what? Look, daughter, who remains nameless. No, no. Immediate family making perfect sense, but I'm not going to get into who. But, you know, um, you know, I was like telling them, like, I'm bringing you along so I don't have to listen to my mom like asking me why isn't this person here when this is the safest place to be because i'm more of afraid of my mom than than they than i am of them but you know we're all here we're all good ready to talk some bulls glad you're safe right yeah <laughs> so yeah um bulls training camp started today uh had a media day yesterday uh, so some great pictures, uh, like Benny the Bull uh, behind the broadcast table with the headphones. <laughs> Still hoping Benny will come on the podcast one time. I would love to interview him. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like he has a lot to say. Yes. <laughs> we'll have to have captions on. We make sure we, I mean, we always have our captions on, but. And of course, you know, if we're talking bulls, and you know we're about to bring our guests on. Uh, so he's in the waiting room. So we're going to bring him on now. And there he is. I'm joined by CHGO Bulls host, Matt Peck. Matt, how's it going? Going on, everybody. Derek, Justin, Melissa, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for thank coming you for on. Coming. Oh, of course. This is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Matt always has you have the professional mic on and everything. Like you're looking good. Got all of that well, rules of time in the background. Hey man, between uh, NBC uh giving me Big Dave and John the boot and then this CHGO gig coming around, I was doing a lot of content from home. So, you know, I had to make the home studio as nice as I could. <laughs> no. Well, it looks like it's like everybody that I know loved your show on NBC. Why why did they not continue it? That, you know what, Derek? That's a good question, man. Um, I don't have the answer for you. I mean, I have my hypotheses, my guesses. Obviously, everybody, whether you be an individual, a family, or a company, was hit hard by that pandemic when everything first happened, you know, in early 2020. Um, and uh, what I do know is that NBC Universal, the giant company that NBC Sports and the NBC Sports Regionals were little subsidiaries of, lost a lot of money right when everything was shut down. Um, 
amusement parks closed. Broadcasts had nothing to broadcast. People were pulling companies that were giving them advertising money. The first thing that they did to cut their own costs was pulling money that they had invested in advertising and being sponsors of things. So like monetarily and financially, we understood that cuts were going to be made. What John and Dave and I held out a little bit of hope for is that it was a fresh idea in the world of sports media and in the world of sports fans getting interconnectivity to the sports coverage of the teams that they're watching and the teams that they're supporting every day. We loved the show. We loved doing the show. And we thought that NBC Sports had found something really special, not just with the concept of the show, but with the chemistry that Dave and, and John and I had and had built so quickly over just, you know, two seasons of doing that show. Um, but we always knew that there was a chance that, you know, cutting costs is cutting costs. Um, and so obviously we were all super bummed when it didn't work out and they told us we're not going to bring this show back. Um, I, I could also say without probably ruffling too many feathers, they didn't pay us as much as they paid a lot of other people around there. And we, we would have happily continued to work for the, you know, the modest amount that they were paying us to do that gig. But you know what? No hard feelings uh, anywhere. We were so thrilled and appreciative to have that job in the first place. We loved every second of it. And um, it's, it's unfortunate that it came and went as quickly as it did. But what I'm really happy about, and I know that, that Dave is happy about, and even though John isn't regularly you know, doing this, this new venture with us, that he's happy about too, is that we took that concept and, and are kind of continuing it with our slight own twists and variations on a new platform. And, and we're thrilled to be on this new platform. Well, you guys are definitely killing it. Uh, did, you, did you all immediately know uh, that you were going to have another opportunity to continue with the the great chemistry that you all had on that new platform? Was it something that was like readily available for you? Well, so, you know, in the interim, um, I, while before I was doing Bulls Outsiders, um, which is where I met Big Dave and John, I had been doing the Locked on Bulls podcast for many years uh, with my guy, Jordan Malley, shout out to him, uh, freaking legend. Uh, and then Jordan decided to leave that podcast. And then I brought Big Dave in as my new co-host of Locked on Bulls. Uh, so this was around, I think, June of last year. And so Dave and I, uh, right around when we were getting the news that uh, NBC was officially not going to do Outsiders anymore, started doing Daily Bulls podcasts together. So we kind of kept that chemistry going. Uh, and simultaneously, during the, the 2021 Bulls season, Dave and John and I would hop on and do some broadcasts on this app called hot mic of bulls games like from our homes and we would you know do live streams of, of games or we would live stream some post games sometimes so we doing something and we didn't want to give up because we knew how special that chemistry was uh and, and then right around uh just after the new year this year dave and i both got uh dms from some dude named brandon at all city network um and it was just like hey um, Matt, hope you're doing well. Cool. Uh, you know, cool things happening in Chicago. would love to talk to you about it. Hit me up when you can. And I saw that DM on like a Friday afternoon and I was already looking forward to my weekend. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. Maybe I'll respond to him on Monday. Maybe I won't. And then on Monday, when Dave and I log on to do an episode of lockdown together, he was like, Hey man, did you talk to that guy, Brandon, that sent you a DM? I was like, no, he was like, you should probably talk to that guy, Brandon. Uh, and then so big Dave kind of gave me the rundown. He got in touch with Brandon first and let uh, Brandon kind of pitch him this concept of what CHGO was going to be. Uh, they had started uh, with DNVR in Denver. 
and then open another branch, PHNX in Phoenix, um, of a new business model of sports media that was tailored towards the, the modern sports fan, a younger sports fan, a sports fan who wanted quality coverage and content, including content provided by credential journalists and reporters, but also daily shows pre and post game for when your team is in season and then daily podcasts on top of that, that are very fan centric. Um, and he pitched, Hey, I loved what you guys did. I watched some of your episodes, of that outsider show. I've listened to your podcast, do what you do, but just do it under this new venture called that. We're going to call CHGO. And so of course, you know, we had a couple of conversations back and forth and we had questions and they had answers for those questions. And, Big Dave and I kind of sat down and discussed whether or not we felt right about leaving Locked On Bulls and the Locked On Network, which was very good to us. And we were comfortable there, but this was too exciting of an opportunity to turn down. Um, and, and one thing that Dave and I made very clear to them, them being all city, when they were pitching CHGO to us was either both of, the, both of us do this or neither of us do this. What Dave and I knew is that we wanted to continue making Bulls content together. And fortunately, uh, we were very pleased to hear from them the same thing back to us. They were like, yeah, we the reason we want you guys is because we really like you together. And that's why we're offering both of you to do what you do and make Bulls podcasts. And, and uh, on top of that, we loved the idea of also doing shows that were sort of pre and post game variety. Cause, cause we missed that element of doing Bulls outside. If you rewind show. a little bit, can you give us the backstory from your perspective on like how your chemistry was right off the beginning from the very beginning, like with the outsiders show and big Dave kind of gave us a little bit of a story on uh, you guys going back and forth about Jimmy Butler, like how was how all that? How was your chemistry right from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So I was aware of who Big Dave was because I was aware of his, you know, ball sports and ball on bulls podcast. And I had listened to a number of episodes, but we had never, not only have we never met in person, we had never even interacted. Like I, I had never been on his podcast. He had never been on mine. Um, and, uh, and then John came out of left field. Um, he was just like an actor who also was a diehard Bulls fan and, or a diehard NBA fan rather. Um, and so we did not know each other coming into those auditions. Um, I did know a couple of people at those auditions, but they were not Dave and John. And so they mixed people around at the initial auditions. And then there was a callback round of auditions uh, and all three of us were still there at the callback round. And then they put us together for a couple of segments and these screen tests that they were doing. And it was just this one, silly prompt that they gave us and by the end of whatever the prompt was and i think the prompt did have something to do with jimmy butler and i believe if i remember correctly it's when he was in minnesota and during training camp after he had demanded a trade then came back to training camp the next day and like took all of the scrubs you know guys 15 on the bench and beat the rest of the starters carl anthony towns and all them and had that tirade about you know you effing need me all of you are soft as you know baby duty whatever whatever and so that was the prompt for our segment for this callback audition for outsiders. And the three of us just took it and ran with it. And then by the end of a segment that was supposed to be about Jimmy Butler, we were talking about Tom Hanks movies completely off the rails. But all we knew is that we all had a really good time just sitting and talking with one another. And, uh, and thankfully the people who were in charge of casting that show by and large, our fearless leader, Kevin Anderson, shout out to him uh, who is still a dear friend uh, of all three of us. And he's always been in our corner he saw that and he was like, that's the show. 
when he saw the three of us just going off the rails and completely ignoring whatever it was that they were asking of us. Speaking of uh, Jimmy, <laughs> what do you think about his media day look? Hey, man. Uh, um, <laughs> as as the honkiest of honky white people, I feel like I don't have a whole like much of a leg to stand on when it comes to offering opinions about people of color and the hairstyles that they choose. Which is why when I saw it, I quote tweeted and I was like, oh, Big Dave, I'm, I'm going to need your opinion on this. <laughs> Look, his answer that I saw that he gave was like, I was just trying to make the internet mad and I think I succeeded. Any any issues that I may have had with Jimmy and and I was not super sad to see him go at the end um, and all the credit in the world to what he's accomplished in his career. That dude is an incredible basketball player that came from very few people believing in him at the NBA level. Jimmy's going to be Jimmy and and you never know what that means. Um, it's certainly entertaining. Um, I, I, uh, I, I am selfishly hoping that that heat team are not going to be a team that, you know, makes a deep playoff run. Cause I hate the heat, but it's mostly about Pat Riley. Like that's where most of my heat hate comes from as a bulls fan, a lifelong bulls fan. But I mean, you know, Jimmy's going to be Jimmy and Jimmy's going to grab some headlines. Cause I think Jimmy wants to grab some headlines course he always wants to but just to circle back around to looks because you brought it up was that your foot that was shown on twitter <laughs> yeah, at, at our chgo bears tailgate oh yes. yeah Look yeah. Sandals. yeah of course it was of course it was <laughs> were they were they long gangly white boy toes and a pair of Birkenstocks? yeah they were mine of course they were and i got so much flack for that all these people that showed up at the tailgate, they were like, dude, it's late September. It's like 50 degrees. There's a breeze. It's like, what are you doing? You're wearing jeans. Why aren't you wearing shoes? <laughs> I am of the opinion that as, as someone who loves Birkenstocks and then just hates closed-toed shoes in general, you wear sandals until you can't. Like, when the first flurries start to fall, then I, then I put the, the Burks away for, for winter, but not until the first flurries fall. <laughs> I figured it had to be because you strike me as somebody who's very comfortable in their skin and not afraid to just rock that look whenever you feel like it. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's one of the the things that Dave and I have in common uh, and respect about each other because we are very different people in a lot of ways. But what we always want to be is comfortable in our own skin. Um, and, and that's something that was important to both of us when we were doing Outsiders and why we loved that concept because they didn't want us to be wearing blazers and collared shirts talking about the Bulls. They're like, no, what do you wear as a Bulls fan if you're going to go to the game or go to a bar to watch the game with your friends? And I'm like, I wear Bulls t-shirts, Bulls baseball caps, backwards often, and like tattered up jeans or a pair of shorts. And Big Dave's like, I wear hats, I wear hoodies, I wear shorts, I wear, you know, sneakers, I wear MJs. And, and they were like, great, do that. And then when we were talking about going and working with CHGO and the All City Network, we both had that very same question. And it was like, can we be ourselves? Can we dress like ourselves? And they said, yes, absolutely. We want you to be your authentic selves. And, and that's something that's very important to both of us. So yeah, if I want to rock some some tattered jeans uh, and a pair of Burks at a, at a company tailgate, I'm gonna. And Dave's gonna wear what he wants to wear too. Well, that authenticity, it definitely speaks through uh, your show and I think you know just speaking as an outsider it, it it definitely does add 
to what I feel is the success of your show. Um, and just the fact that we can relate to you all, it just comes across that way. Uh, but in the beginnings, like when did you all notice that you had this influence um, that had a, a pretty big following? I honestly, I don't know if we ever noticed. Um, you know, I, I knew that, that I had put hard work in um, and it was probably, I, I had been trying to grind my way into sports media in Chicago for four or five years before outsiders rolled around. Uh, and I knew that big Dave had been doing the same uh, and, and for even longer than I had been uh, with his own ventures. Um, so whenever you're in that initial grind, the early years of that grind, once you decide that you want to do this, I mean, you always feel like it's one step forward and three steps back wherever you are in that process. And that's what keeps you grinding. Um, and so, you know, Dave and John and I, when we would be getting ready to do an episode of Outsiders on any given night, would be like, all right, guys, ready to entertain the same 15 people that watch our show every night. Like we never, we never thought of ourselves as people who like had a TV show that people watched. And um, every once in a while, some friends of mine from, from back home, uh, or, or, you know, people I talk hoops with um, or, or people that, you know, didn't even know that I was doing that show because like outside of people who are diehard Chicago sports fans, you like watched NBC Sports Chicago's coverage all day, every day. It wasn't a big deal. But so sometimes people would like send me some picture they took of like them sitting in a bar and like our show is on and they're like, hey, look, you're on TV. And I'm like, hey, yeah, what about that? But even like I, none of us ever felt like we had made it in any way. We were still just like grinding and enjoying the fact that we got to talk about the bulls together for a half an hour. There were cameras pointed at us and we were in a studio, but we were just excited to talk about the bulls together for a half an hour. And I fast forward to the present. I think we still feel like that. Um, I, you know, I, I can't speak for Dave, but I definitely, I, I know how much work I put into this, but I also every day have that sort of imposter syndrome feeling of like, I know I've been doing this for seven years, but I still can't believe the people give a shit about what I have to say and I don't know why they do um, which is a great motivating factor but I've never I, I don't know when if ever people were like oh yeah these guys we want to watch these guys talk about the Bulls uh, I know people do but I, I don't know why and I don't know when people decided to <laughs> well you guys were on like during the dark days of the Bulls exactly and yeah. like I told Dave like no matter how bad that team sucked and those games were like blowouts, you guys would come on and you would make us laugh and you forget about it. And I always related more with you because you were always going these rants. And I'm like, that's how I feel. Get this guy out of here. Jim Boyden's a clown. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I appreciate well, it. And, and I mean, I like, that was it. something that we. Yeah, and I think we knew that we had to be that for Bulls fans uh, because we knew people who were actually tuning in to watch our show, the late-night post-post-game show of a team that was trying to get to 25 wins. Like, that is diehard fans and diehard fans only. And as diehard fans ourselves, we were just as frustrated as the people watching our show. And so whereas the, you know neat and tidy around the edges and we can't ruffle too many feathers traditional pre-game and post-game show and, and shout out to those guys you know shanowski goff uh, you know kendall and will 
we had some conversations with them in the green room while we were watching those games and they were sitting there saying, man, we wish we could say some of the things on the air that you guys can get away with saying. Cause like, you know, they have credibility. They are professional broadcasters and retired professional NBA players who are also now professional broadcasters. And they, if they said some of the things that Dave and or John and I said, you know, they would probably be getting a phone call from some people who are in business with them who own and operate the Bulls to be like, hey, you, you can't say that about our team on 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 our sports network. And we did occasionally get like a, an orange caution flag after certain episodes when we knew that we were the clowns to come in and, and make Bulls fans laugh and, you know, commiserate with them and hopefully give them a good half hour of fun. But there were some episodes where one of the three of us, and let's be honest, I was mostly often the guilty party, would have to come on the air and be like, you know what? I'm not in the mood tonight. I'm not in the mood to make people laugh. This is BS. I am a fan. I care. And this is junk. What this product that this team that we all bleed for is junk. And I have to be on the air calling it junk or my credibility is zilch as a fan slash whatever the hell else I am in this career. Well, you know, the thing is like, a lot of the stuff that you all brought to the forefront, obviously it's what fans were feeling, but I feel like in certain aspects, there were just people around, I don't want to say around the organization, but like, I'll just say around the organization that it was just status quo. Like it was like, this is acceptable. Um, you know, we can still move forward with this with some of the, the names um, that I remember being on this roster, just looking back to where the team is now. You're like, how did they actually think that this was a an actual NBA team that they were putting on the court? So I feel like by you all bringing that out um, and letting the organization know how fans really were feeling kind of created, in a sense, a reason for them to look inwardly and, you know, change some things I, I mean, up. I would love it if we could take even some tiny sliver of credit for that and sparking actual change but i can't i I, you know i i can't take credit for that i i don't believe that that we are any part of the reason why maybe it's part of the reason why they didn't continue our show after two seasons i don't know (laughs) but i i mean my honest opinion my honest assessment as someone who has watched this team his entire life not just the basketball on the floor but the operations behind the scenes and knowing the Reinsdorfs is an ownership group. They are really good at ignoring a lot of noise, whether it's local or national NBA media attention. They have always been obsessed with this very, you know, small close knit group of people that they trust within their building. Jerry Reinsdorf is one of the most notoriously loyal owners in all of American sports. And they just blocked out a lot of it. And it was, you know, like the meme of the dog, sitting in the burning house with a cup of coffee like oh this is fine this is fine and we were out there yelling after every 30 point loss this is not fine (laughs) but i think honestly what did it is when the bulls hosted all-star weekend 2020 the the city of chicago hosted all-star weekend 2020 right before covid shut down the world and that was you know at close to the end of year two of the jim boyle experience and um the team was terrible uh, the only representation they had at All-Star Weekend was Zach Levine participating in the three-point contest. He hadn't even made the All-Star team yet. 
and Zach Levine is sitting there doing some segment on some ESPN show, and there is a Firegar Pax chant breaking out behind him on national television. They're good at ignoring a lot of things. They're good at ignoring a billboard in the city of Chicago, the streets of Chicago that Bulls fans paid for themselves to say, hey, fire these idiots. They ignored that. I don't think they could ignore being the host city for the first time since like young late 80s MVP MJ, the city of Chicago hosts All-Star Weekend for the first time since the late 80s. And the Bulls are the laughing stock of the National Basketball Association. I think that's what did it more than anything. Take the credit, Matt. Just I, I will credit. never, I will never take that. And you know what? You know who does deserve at least a sliver of credit is Ricky O'Donnell. Shout out to him. He's my guy. I mean, like I had a freelance writing gig back in the day, um, you know, during uh, and immediately after the Jimmy trade when the team was trash. And I wrote a lot of skating columns, calling out Jerry, calling out Gar, calling out John. But I didn't do it on as big of a platform, and I didn't do it as eloquently and as beautifully and as repetitively, aggressively repetitively, as Ricky O'Donnell did for SB Nation. If anybody in the world of Bulls media deserves credit for their ousting, it's that dude. <laughs> Shout out, Ricky. Uh, yeah, I remember that billboard because I, I, I donated to help put it up. So. <laughs> I see, hey, good for you. And I didn't. And I remember my old Lockdown Bulls co-host, Jordan, and I had a vehement argument, not argument, but a debate about it on one of our episodes back in the day because he said, I donated to that billboard. And I said, good for you. I didn't because as much as I love this team and as much as I want change, even if they ever see that billboard, they'll look at it and then they'll go back to counting their ducats. They don't care. They won't care. Like, bless Bulls fans for doing that. You wasted your money. If you want to take credit for them getting fired because of that billboard, go right ahead. Personally, I think it had nothing to do with it. Okay, let's let's take a step out of the sewage of, <laughs> of just lighting matches. Go back to something positive. You mentioned that um, you were on this grind, and you you know your your hard work, Dave's hard work, John's hard work definitely came came out or comes out in your show. Um, if you talk about that grind, were there any influences that you were looking to, to kind of help um, keep you motivated? Um, or how did you stay motivated, even with uh, the state of the, the Chicago Bulls team and getting your career off to where it is now? Yeah, I, I mean, I I looked to uh, a, a lot of people for advice, for guidance. Um, I, I really like when I moved back to Chicago uh, in late 2014 decided that I wanted to get into sports media. Um, I didn't really know anybody. I didn't really know what I was doing. Like I started my own online radio show. Uh, not, it was like an online <laughs> podcast on blog talk radio. Um, and, and it was like once a week. And I would talk about not just the Bulls, but like Chicago teams across the board. And then I increased, I was like, this isn't enough. And then I went from once a week to three times a week. And then that, uh, eventually led to me getting uh, an opportunity to be like a freelance, you know, a blog writer for some Chicago sports site writing primarily about the bulls. And, um, I, I basically just anytime I could reach out and make connection with a reporter, journalist, broadcaster, who I had admired as a Chicago sports fan, some of whom I was like reading their columns in the trib of the sun times of the daily Herald when I was a little kid, like, you know, having breakfast before walking to elementary school, like so many people in this business in Chicago who I admire 
and had been reading or watching their coverage of my beloved Chicago teams for years were still here working when I was in my late 20s and decided that I wanted to get into this. So any chance that I could to bend their ear, have them be a guest on whatever, you know, two, you know, uh, two cent podcast or whatever show that I was hosting at the time and then following up on them whenever I could, as often as I could to just ask for their advice um, and, and let them know how much I admired what they did and read every column of every journalist that I admire and watch every segment of every broadcaster I admire and study the nuances of sports talk radio hosts in this city who I think are talented um, whose jobs that I was like, that's what I want to do. Like sports talk radio. Um, there's always going to be another roadblock. You just have to put it in reverse turn and drive around that roadblock and try to make that next. It's either one more connection to one more piece of the network that can give you some sort of renewed confidence in yourself because most of the people in my experience that I've come across in my seven or so years doing this, a lot of people have the same story of started with nothing, started from nothing, just go, just, just run. Anytime you get the opportunity to do something, say yes, say yes. And what else can I do? Uh, if anybody ever asks you to do something, say yes. And just don't stop. Um, it's like, it the, the first few years are really really hard because you're working really hard and seeing very little as far as not only compensation monetarily but it, you kind of sometimes feel like I'm just shouting my opinions into the dark you know evening sky and nobody knows and nobody cares um but if you keep at it enough all of a sudden you will notice gradually that one person over there cares and hey, two people over here care. Um, and, and, you know, the other big part of it, and it's something that I go back and forth on as far as embracing it and hating it, is is just the, the constant interaction on social media um, and, and Twitter specifically. Um, I Like Twitter is a cesspool filled with mostly negative people saying hurtful things to each other all day, every day, and I hate it. But it can also be a beautiful way to bring sports fans together. Um, and, and you have to be in between networking and in between creating your content to share with the masses. You need to be on that Twitter grind, trying to interact with people, to grow your following, to get other people's attention on the opinions you have. Hey, are we of like mind on this? Do we have different opinions on this? Either way, let's discuss it. And so it's like, you know, it's like a crazy jumbled salad on a daily basis of, what am I spending this hour doing? What am I spending this hour doing? That hour doing networking, content, social media. Um, and every once in a while, you get one little moment where you're like, oh, I actually did something that mattered today. Awesome. And it gives you the energy and the confidence to keep going. Great. Like, um, I always tell Melissa, like, Justin here is the conscious of the show. He likes to keep things positive and like Big Dave and Chuck Swartz, you gave a great positive message. But I like to put fire on the field. <laughs> let's let's talk about this Pat Riley hate. <laughs> Is this stemming from when he was coaching the Knicks? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, so like I'm 
I'm too young to remember the the Riley Showtime Lakers. Like, I mean, I I have vague memories of of '91, uh, but at that point, the Showtime was over. You know, Magic was old, and most of the other parts of that team had been disbanded. Um, so for me, as a kid who grew up falling in love with basketball, falling in love with the Bulls in the '90s, Riley's Knicks were like, ah. You know, I hated, I, I respected the talent, but hated Patrick Ewing because he was good um, and made it hard to win against his team. Hated John Starks because he was a little shit bag. Um, you know, Anthony Mason, Xavier McDaniel. Like, I hated that team, and Riley was the evil genius behind all of it. You know, the slicked back hair and the fancy expensive suits and hated him. Uh, I just like, I, even as a child, I saw that character and I was like, that's a movie villain. I mean, he's a basketball coach, but that's a movie villain. Um, and so because it was like those, you know, that bloody rivalry with the Knicks of my childhood, and then he goes to Miami and then has all kinds of success in Miami, drafts Dwayne Wade, Chicago kid, who wins his first chip three years into his NBA career because they get Shaq over from the Lakers, and then – punch the bulls while they're down and you know dirt before and during the baby bulls era and then the heatles was i it's hard for me to talk about like i loved that d rose joking <clears throat> luol bulls team probably more than anything else in my chicago sports fandom aside from the dynasty itself and i'm talking across the board like i'm a bears fan i'm a hawks fan i'm a cubs fan i love my chicago sports that core of that team from the you know the, the late aughts to the early 2010s. I loved that team and I freaking hated that Heatles team. And I hated Pat Riley for, for successfully pulling off that coup where he gets not only Dwayne Wade to stay in Miami, but he gets Chris Bosch and LeBron James to join him. When guess who else was talking to those players? The Bulls. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm bitter. Yeah. I'm petty about it. I mean, like did, did I, one of my favorite, moments as a sports fan outside of the success of my Chicago teams is when an aging Timmy Duncan and that Spurs team spanked the heat in those 2014 finals, avenging their loss the year prior, which the, the Spurs never should have lost those 13 finals. The Heatles really should have only had that one title in 2012. Um, and yeah, my hate of Pat Riley is the crux, crux of a lot of that. Are you happy, Derek? Because this man, like you lit the match and he has like like the rage of a thousand suns burning in his eyes as he's recanting these stories. And yeah. Derek has a very big smile on his face. I mean, that, that's, the same, that's the same sadistic smile that I see Big Dave give me when he pushes my buttons and knows that I'm about to freaking lose it on something. I told not you nice. guys. <laughs> it's not nice, Derek. I told you guys. I liked matt's rants because i felt every bit of those watching their show and i felt every bit of that because i cannot stand those heat teams yeah see Derek understands and it's, it's, like, funny, it's funny you say that because I, I i do get that comment sometimes from our loyal listeners who have been listening to either my podcast or, or outsiders you know years back like, oh man, like I, I miss a good old, you know, Matt r angry rant about something because for four or five years, that's mostly what I did was, you know, complain loudly about this team that was failing us. And now thankfully we have a team that's at least decent 
it's at least watchable basketball. They were competitive. They made the playoffs last year. The angry rants are, are fewer and far between. They're not gone entirely. Um, and, and trust me, like, I don't, I don't enjoy that part of it as much as I think people think I do. Like I'm actually a very easygoing and mellowed out person in my personal life and, and not in my sports fan life. And in my heart rate and my, you know, my blood pressure up like that, I'm glad that it entertains some people. And I know that it's, you know, probably part of the reason why people find me entertaining, but it's not, it's not fun. And it's certainly not easy on me. Like it's, I, I'm, you know, there will come a day where I go in for a physical and my doctor will tell me, he's like, you can't talk about sports anymore. You just, you know, you can't. Yeah. Mellow and reasonable until Derek is walking around with a can full of gasoline, just <laughs> waiting. <laughs> well, like you said, it, it's few and far between now because we have a much better team, but no, the, the big story coming out of training camp is what Lonzo Ball had to say in his press conference and said he can't run or jump. Can't play basketball, feels pain every day. The man can't walk upstairs. Yeah. Like, that was very concerning to me. And, you know, forgive me if I, I, I might be mistaken because I tried looking at the interview twice and I didn't get like clarification on when the Bulls knew about the, ex, the extent of his, the pain that he was having. Um, so I kind of like wish that there was more like a follow up of like the exact moments that the team was aware of all of this pain that he was in. But um. It is pretty concerning because, you know, look, I've had like when I, I have Crohn's and when I was first diagnosed with Crohn's, um, I was very hesitant to have surgery. And I always knew that, you know, surgery was a possibility, but it was one of those things that I was aware of. But like there were different things that I could go through. And one of the gentlemen that I met in the hospital, he was assuring me that things have progressed uh, much forward. He said that when he got first opened up back in the late 70s, the doctors opened him up and they were like, don't know what that is and closed him back up again. And once he woke up, they were like, we had no idea what to do for you. Now, I bring this up <clears throat> because given the procedures that he's had on that knee, given the MRIs, it's very concerning that the doctors were like, we kind of don't have any idea of what is causing the pain like that's got to be like concerning on everybody right yeah um i mean I, the phrase that uh our guy will go gottlieb used on today's show was red flag it's absolutely a red flag if the player in this case lonzo is willingly saying to the media <clears throat> my doctors are confused right now they don't know what's wrong because the mri shows nothing and so uh, as far as we all understand it, the reason that they're going to do this surgery tomorrow is to potentially fix some things and clean up some things, loose cartilage here, or there, whatever on the knee from the previous surgery healing, but mostly to see if they can find out what is causing this discomfort because they see no reason for it right now without cutting him open. And that is, as you uh, eloquently explained there, Justin, very very concerning. Um, 
the like you know if i were to give bulls fans one piece of advice as far as how to process all of this lonzo stuff as we are just now you know one day into training camp take that four to six week timeline that they gave in the official press release and throw it out the window um they will reevaluate reevaluate him after four to six weeks and then we'll see but what lonzo described today with the kind of pain he was experiencing the immobility of the knee he was experiencing can't run can't jump hurts to go up and down stairs i have very little faith and and this isn't me being a, a pessimist or you know a cynical person that i am just based on all of the facts that we know it seems very unlikely that they're going to go in there figure out what's wrong fix it sew him back up and he's going to be playing by late december i just don't see that happening um and billy donovan was asked about it uh after practice today saying you know, is, is there a part of you who sort of has to look at the reality of the situation and prepare to not have Lonzo at all this season? And he said, of course, we're preparing for that. Um, and I think Bulls fans need to prepare for that as well. So, you know, knock on wood and whatever gods you pray to, say a prayer to him if you feel like it. But I am not feeling good about Lonzo Ball playing basketball at all this season. And more so than that, and what I really feel terribly about for him and his sake knowing how much this NBA career means to Lonzo Ball and how much he wants to be out there on the court helping his team win if this is something that is like career threatening career ending and I'm not just throwing that out there to to be you know hyperbolic in any way I legitimately think that that could be something within the realm of possibility then then really all we're talking about is the fact that your heart just breaks for that guy yeah, he even mentioned that in his pressure too. Um, that worst case scenario, there's a possibility that he wouldn't come back. That he, it's not, it's it's not really in his mind right now. But there's a possibility that he wouldn't come back. So, yeah. um, with that being said, who who do you think would be next man up? Who's going to be our starting point guard? And also, what do you think that changes anything with Kobe, with the Kobe White situation? Do we think we're does that that even affect? His standing, you think we'll be keeping him beyond this, even through the season? I, I mean, I think that it can affect Kobe's situation this season, Melissa. Do I think it affects Kobe's situation long-term? I would say that's less likely. Um, you know, Kobe's coming up on the end of his rookie deal. At this point, I would be shocked if the Bulls tender him some sort of extension offer. Um, I don't see that happening. I think that Kobe could be a very useful player on a good NBA team, primarily as a, you know, get hot and, you know, pour in 18 or 20 points off the bench every other night kind of scorer. Will he be asked to, or will he be allowed to compete for the starting point guard role? Now that we know that Lonzo is going to be out for a while. I mean, if, if you take Billy Donovan at his word at media day yesterday, when Billy was asked, so, all right, Lonzo's out. Who's starting? Like, well, I don't know. Let me let me hold my training camp, and then I'll get a question he didn't want to answer. I think that they're going to spend the next couple of weeks and a couple of preseason games seeing how those different options play out. 
he talked about Dragic and obviously a veteran who has lots of experience in this league and and certainly has played some traditional point guard over the course of his long career as an option to start, but also knowing that with his recent injury history and his old tired legs, you're not going to ask Dragic to play 30 minutes a night for close to 82 games. That's just not happening. Do you start him and, you know, only play him 20 minutes a night? That's one possibility. The other possibilities, obviously, are do you look at what Io did subbing in um, unexpectedly for Lonzo when Lonzo went down last season and see if he can continue that momentum? Or do you take Alex Caruso, who's not really a traditional point guard, um, but whose defense and whose vocal leadership on the defensive end could really help that starting unit and sort of maybe he brings the ball up one possession and then DeMar or Zach brings the ball up the next possession and you don't really have one set point guard in that starting lineup. I think that's a feasible option too. Um, the downside there is, is losing, you know, that, that solid vet Caruso to sort of hold that second unit together. But I, I honestly think that Billy's going to look at all those options. If you're asking me my personal opinion, which of those options is the best one right now, day, day one of training camp, I'm leaning towards starting Caruso right now. And that's not to say I don't believe in Io DeSumo. I love that kid. I loved his rookie year. I can't wait to see what he does next. I am I am worried remembering what the Bulls defense looked like when Lonzo and Caruso were both off the floor for that horrid stretch of games we had to watch in the back third of last season. Um and that's probably what has me Lee Caruso right now. But if Billy decides that I am ready for this opportunity and puts Iowa in that starting lineup, I will have no objections to it. Well, with the moves <clears throat> that the Bulls have made, and I think that this really speaks to the preparedness of this organization. Um, and just looking at the pieces that they put around, of course, you mentioned um, with them having a healthy – so and bring in a Goran but um I was looking at you know I, I'm very fascinated by by looking back at draft classes and you know seeing what the different um evaluators say in that process and I just wanted to point out some things that I found um player has a hitch in their shot but has improved their three-point shooting can be disruptive as a defender guard multiple positions has a high basketball IQ and excels in pushing the ball in transition. Those are the things that we all read about and know about Lonzo. But it also makes me see that it's something that they also were saying about Dale and Terry. So given like the moves that the Bulls have made and continue to make, do you think that at some point with them having um, Lonzo on this team and giving his his history of having these medical concerns. Do you think that like part of this was in the back of their mind when they were going through their evaluations of the draft class this year? I think it's absolutely feasible that that played a role in the bulls scouting decisions and the alignment of their draft board on draft night earlier this summer, when it came to who was available at their slot and taking Dale and Terry. Uh, as far as the, well, this, these, you know, these Lonzo, uh, you know, prognoses don't sound too good. So maybe can we get a, a similar kind of Lonzo player if Lonzo's toast uh, and we got a 
try to find somebody with a similar set of skills. Um, I, you know, I, I can't definitively say that that's why they drafted Dale and Terry, but I, I can, you know, surmise that it could have been a factor uh, if that's your question. Um, but I also think that that might not necessarily mean that Dalen Terry is going to get thrust into any kind of role close to that his rookie year. Um, you know, going back to Melissa's thoughts about Kobe, if you were going to ask me who's going to get more minutes out of the gate this season, I would probably lean to saying Kobe over Dalen Terry. Um, and I love Dalen Terry. I love the fire that I saw from him when we went and watched him in summer league this summer. Um, He's got to work on his shot. You mentioned the scouting report, the hitch in the shot. Uh, you know, I, I watched him jack up some threes in summer league that were whew, ugly. Um, but, you know, that's something that a guy can get better at. Um, and clearly he has the physical tools and I think the tenacity to be a really good defensive player in the NBA. Can he build on what he has in his offensive arsenal? But I think it's going to take some time. And the, uh, the interesting thing that I heard Will say today on our, I can't remember if it was on while we were on the air before or after our show, but Will coming from practice said, you know, talking to Dalen and some of the things that Dalen had to say, he thinks it's, it's sunk in for Dalen already that he's, he's a low man on the totem pole coming into this training camp. And he is going to have to prove himself if he wants minutes this year. Yeah. His comment about, uh, understanding how fast Zach is yeah. his first time on the yeah. floor was pretty telling. Um, but given like with the Bulls, like what we hope and what we expect to be like a success for this team, what is that one player that you're looking at that you're definitely like expecting more out of this year? Because a lot of people are putting some pressure on um, Patrick Williams, even in the, um, and the, the um, pressers yesterday, you know, people were asking him about whether or not this was a make or break year. But um, who who would you look at as needing to really step up their game to help elevate this team? Um, yeah, I mean, Pat is is the obvious answer, um, and there's nothing wrong with that obvious answer. I mean, something is an obvious answer for a reason, and Pat's the <laughs> obvious answer for a reason. Um, it's, you know, he's, he's coming through a, a rough couple of first years in his NBA career as a guy who was very young, played one year college ball, drafted into the league in 19. And then because of where the league and where the world was, Pat did not have a normal span of time between getting drafted and his first NBA game. Summer league was canceled because of the pandemic. The, you know, the teams did not have a traditionally scheduled or, or traditional length of training camp or preseason, you know, a, a sequence of events after getting drafted and entering the league that kind of help you get your feet into the, you know, the shallow end of the pool and learn the ropes. Pat didn't get that along with, um, you know, his entire draft class. And then coming into year two, he's dealing with a, a, a badly sprained ankle and pretty much misses all of training camp. Um, comes in and plays a couple of preseason games and then gets hurt four games into the season and then misses 80% of the season. So it is like, there's a reason that the age old saying when it comes to people who analyze the NBA has been year two to year three is when you really see whether or not a guy has the goods to be a legitimate player in this league. And that is where Pat is now. And it's, I guess in a lot of ways, unfair to him that he had to skip some steps 
between getting drafted and today. But, I mean, this is the NBA. And people are going to look to him to make some kind of substantial progress in his game to help this team win games this season. Personally, I am trying to keep those expectations as as tempered as I can while also really wanting to see the person or see the player that I believe Patrick can be the, the people who have already labeled him a bust. I, I, I don't know how to communicate with those people. I try. I don't know how to communicate with them. This, this, this young man just turned 21. And I know it drives my pal Mark K crazy. When I say he's just 21, he's just 21. Zach Levine right now is 27 and entering his prime. There's a six year gap between where Pat is right now and where Zach Levine is right now. All that said, Pat needs to show marked improvement this year. It's going to be hard if you assume that he will play the bulk of his minutes with a starting unit where he will probably be third at best and often fourth on the who gets touches, who gets shots, you know, order. You're playing with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, two all-stars. I mean, before Zach's knee, Last season, you were talking about maybe having two All-NBA teammates. Vooch, two-time All-Star, who in his own right has sacrificed touches and shots to fit into this team from where he came from. And then there's Pat. How does he show us that he can build on his offensive game where he fits into that starting five? That's the big question this year. What you might be able to see more of, hopefully, is how much more ground can he cover and how much more expansive is his defensive game because that's something that you don't need the ball to show us that you got better on defense so that's really what I want to see from Pat this year show us that you are working your way towards being a versatile you know multi-dimensional positionless lockdown defender and hopefully show us something you know get your your three your three ball uh uh, release off a little quicker than you have in your first two seasons while continuing to shoot it at a high clip. Bump up your three-point volume while sh- still shooting at a high clip. And then find those opportunities where you can be that on-ball offensive generator and find your spots to attack the basket or you know make make a backdoor cut or or even generate and, and, uh, and be a facilitator. Can you show us you can facilitate? But it's a lot on his plate and I'm doing my best to temper my expectations because as someone who believes in Pat, I want to see that leap, but I think the average bulls fan is expecting too much right now, given the context of the situation. Yeah. Speaking of uh, tempering expectations, like with uh, now we've seen that Lonzo maybe won't be available to maybe like after all-star break, if he, plays at all this season does that change like what you think this team will do like during the season like seeding wise with the east being better because even before the Lonzo news we had people like oh the, the east got better they're a play-in team this year or they're not going to make the playoffs at all I mean yes it's changed my expectations I think it's it would be silly not to change my expectations. You're talking about not having one of your starting five. And I know there are some people out there who say Lonzo is a good player and he's important, but he's not that good of a player and he shouldn't be that important. 
I tend to disagree with that with that logic because he may not be the all star that Zach or Demar is, but he's he's pretty damn close to it, and I think he is the best two way player that this team has right now. Uh, his elite defense, coupled with his court vision, is what allowed the Bulls to get a lot of easy points in the early going last year. And then you saw what that team looked like without his defense and those easy points, thanks to his court vision um, and his ability to make plays in transition. Yeah, it changes expectations. Um, there, Whoever is in that starting five, in my opinion, will not have as positive of an impact on the floor as Lonzo Ball will. Or, or, or did last season. The Bulls were whatever it was, 27 and 13, um, had for a, a good while there, for like the first third of the season, a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense with Lonzo Ball out there playing. And he wasn't the only person to miss time. Lonzo go down this. They have players in and out because of, you know, the second bout of, of COVID variant and whatnot. Derek Jones Jr. misses time. Uh, you know, uh, Zach dealing with the knee. Yeah, like they they were hurt and they lost a lot of people. And of course, Caruso and, you know, he who shall not be named over there in Milwaukee. Um, but I think of all of those pieces, Lonzo was the most important. And not having him does change expectations. It certainly changes mine. Coupled with, as you mentioned, Derek, the improvements that other Eastern Conference teams made. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I know that, that AK said at Media Day yesterday, well, the goal obviously is to improve upon last season. So that means certainly getting back to the playoffs and doing better in the playoffs than you did last year. Whether that's, you know, pushing a first series to seven games instead of going out five, or I'm guessing what he meant was wins and the absence of Lonzo. Do I see that as a likely outcome for this team right now? I do not. And I hate saying that because it was really fun to follow a playoff team again last year. And I do think that they can still be a playoff team again this year. But certain things will have to break right for them. Outside of Lonzo, they will need to get lucky with a mostly healthy roster. And even if all of that happens with the talent that's in the East, right now, I'm looking at a play-in tournament Chicago Bulls season. And maybe they can get out of it and get to the playoffs. Hopefully they can. Ideally, obviously, they avoid the play-in and manage to get at least a six seed like they did last year. All this context that I'm looking at, it is very likely that they slide into the play-in this season. Do you see any changes this season with um, like the dynamic between Zach and Demar? Like, I know there are a lot of people talking about or speculating that Zach wasn't so happy with Demar being on the team and him being a leader. I didn't buy into that either, but there are a lot of people that did. Um, and now that Zach will be healthy this year, knock on wood, do you think anything is going to change between the two of them? Uh, well, first for the record, Melissa, anyone spreading that speculation and then anyone buying in to that speculation that Zach wasn't happy because DeMar showed up and stole his thunder has an IQ of negative 12. And I do not care to talk to them, listen to them, hear what they have to say, you know, go, go drown yourself in a lake. That's nonsense. Zach was despondent and depressed and frustrated for every year since he got uh, you know, traded to us from Minnesota, looking around saying, can I have some damn help, please? Yep. 
You know what DeMar DeRozan was? Help! Are you kidding me? There is no one happier in the world that DeMar DeRozan is here than Zach Levine. And anyone who believes differently is a freaking moron. Um, that being said, does the d- dynamic change from last season to this season? I think it could in an interesting way in that DeMar came last year and shared some of his infinite veteran wisdom with Zach. His, his practice habits, his life habits with some of the younger guys on this team and put his shoulder around them and supported them and lifted them up. And it was immediately great for this organization because this organization needed a vet like that. And Zach wasn't quite there yet. Now, does Zach this season, he's always been the face of the franchise. Even when DeMar came in last year, he was, in my opinion, and I think broadly accepted opinion, the face of this franchise the only guy from that Jimmy Trey that turned himself into a star from his own hard work and is now like a bona fide star, like making new balance commercials with Kawhi Leonard and a bunch of all-stars like Zach's the face. Does he this season take it upon himself to not take the mantle from DeMar as the vet leader in the locker room, in the huddle during timeouts and on the floor, but does that shift? Does that start to shift? Because DeMar's not going to be around forever, my guess. And Zach needs to soak up as much of that veteran knowledge and leadership skill kind of stuff that DeMar has while he's here. And so might there be some times this season when DeMar steps back a bit, whether it be stepping back from controlling the game or stepping back from the microphone before or after the game and say, Zach, all you. I think you could see stuff like that this season. But I still think that if the, that transition starts to happen, um, it will be because Zach and Demar both want that to happen. And some still see them as the one A one B on the floor, basically. Yeah, I mean, before Zach started getting bothered by that knee, if you look at their advanced stats from like the first two thirds of last year, neck and neck, fourth quarter scoring, neck and neck, like they were partners you know like they were partners in crime winning a lot of games with the first part of that season obviously DeMar became the king in the fourth and uh, do you do you think that continues this season or will he like kind of step back and let Zach try to take over to win games in the fourth man I I don't know that is a question that I will be like glued to my seat trying to find the answer to this year because watching DeMar dominate those fourth quarters last season was the most fun I had as a Bulls fan in a long time. Do I think he can replicate that? That's the question that's everybody that everybody's asking. That's what my guy Darnell Mayberry tried to ask DeMar at media day last uh, yesterday before DeMar interrupted him. Be like, Hey man, you call me old. You call me washed. You saying I can't do it again. Um, the the part that I find fascinating and also, if I'm being honest, a teensy bit terrifying, is that I Bulls fans who have watched closely the Bulls career of Zach Levine have seen many uh, nights, many a close games where it's a one possession game and Zach Levine has the ball and something bad happens. He dribbles the ball off his foot. There's a, a you know a bad pass turnover, uh, an ill-advised shot, if you want to call him that, that he misses. I think at this point, 
Zach Levine's pretty much damn earned the right to take any shot he wants on an NBA court. Um, but those, like the tape is there, the evidence is there. Zach Levine has never been known as a late game closer, and if anything, has been known as the opposite of that thus far in his NBA career. I don't think it's unfair to say that as a objective observer. I really want DeMar to be our safety blanket again. Like I, I would love Zach Levine to be that guy this year. And maybe I, I think it's possible that he has it in him to be that guy this year, but Holy crap. DeMar was one of the best guys in the entire league at doing that last year. He wasn't just better than Zach at doing that. He was one of the best, if not the best, late game bucket getters in the freaking NBA last year. And it was fun to watch. I want to have that safety blanket again. Do I think we will? I'm 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 not so sure. I mean, DeMar's efficiency as a mid-range shooter last year were historically stupidly good. Do you think that there's anything that um, Donovan can do to kind of help facilitate Zach uh, moving in that direction? That's a great question. Um, it seems like Zach and Billy have a really strong relationship that they've built over the last couple of years. <laughs> Billy's been here. Um, and I mean, may, maybe there's some things that Billy can teach Zach or some advice that, that DeMar can give to Zach, has given to Zach about how to maybe just take a breath in those moments. Because a, as an observer, just watching these games, to me, that has always appeared to be the problem with Zach and late game closing scenarios is that he gets a little too flustered and panicky and like, Oh God, I got to make a big play and I got to make a big play right now. And it leads to his feet or his hands being a half a step ahead of his brain. Cause his brain is thinking not about what I'm going to do right now, but Oh, clutch time. Got to be clutch right now. That and like, it just, and I'm not saying I know that for a fact as an observer, that's what it appears like to me that Zach gets into those scenarios and kind of panics and things go poorly. Maybe that's something that he can get help fixing from a, a veteran team. like tomorrow from his coach, like Billy, or maybe that's something that he needs to mostly find on his own, whatever inner piece he needs to be that guy to make those shots. And look, I'm not saying he's never been that guy. There, there are plenty of examples of Zach. I mean, also hitting shots that are clutch as hell late in close games. It's just that the percentage, the ratio is certainly more, ah, didn't quite make the right shot. Didn't quite make the right read on that play. How do we get the ratio tilted in the other direction? Maybe he can be helped in that endeavor, but I think it's mostly on him. And it's a, it's, it's an old trope, but there's a reason old tropes are old tropes. Most often there, there's reason behind it. When it comes to winning, at the highest level, whether it be the NBA or anything else. Some dudes have that. And some dudes don't the give me the damn ball and I'm going to win us the game. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Um, right now, last season, DeMar DeRozan was that dude. I haven't seen enough examples of Zach Levine being that dude. It doesn't mean I don't think he can be now and moving forward. You always got the Charlotte game. <laughs> Dude, the Charlotte game is the one that comes to mind, right? 
Dude hit 13 threes, including that dagger. No, you're kidding. God, that call from the, the, the Hornets broadcaster still brings me so much joy. This is such an agony. <laughs> how, how do you think we did with our offseason? Like, did you, were you pleased with the pickups? Like, and what's, what do you think our biggest area of opportunity is? Is it, is it not having a shooter? A steady shooter, or is it ding. protection? Ding ding. <laughs> um, well, I, I think the the thing that a lot of Bulls fans gloss over when they're criticizing the lack of fun, exciting things happening this off season is is twofold to me. One, they retained Zach Levine, a bona fide All Star entering his prime right now. Zach, there's a chance that Zach could have walked. Obviously, we know that the Bulls could have offered and did offer him the most money as a unrestricted free agent, but he could have chosen to go elsewhere if he was sick of the you know the grind here and not quite getting there. So credit them for giving him that big bag of money that he earned and keeping him around. That's big. Bulls fans act like that was a given, like that is nothing. In today's NBA, when stars are happy one minute and miserable the next and are looking at all the different ways to get out of town, wherever that town is now, keeping a player of Zach Levine's caliber is, is no small thing. So you have to credit them for that. And a lot of Bulls fans act like that's just nothing or a default given. It was not. The other things that they did, adding veteran bench depth that's slightly better than what you had last year, whether you're talking front court with Drummond, back court with Dragic, Okay, fine. They're not the splashy moves that I think a lot of Bolts fans were looking for, but it's not nothing. Hopefully those guys can contribute. I do see both of those guys getting substantial minutes over the course of a season, and that's not nothing. That's guys who are rotation guys. That's not nothing. It's not flashy, but it's not nothing. Um, the part <clears throat> that I am still a little upset about is what you just said, Melissa. This team needed to address shooting this offseason, particularly three-point shooting. They did not. Um, they were the worst three-point shooting team by volume in the NBA last season. Mm -hmm. Their efficiency at those small number of threes taken per game is what kept them in games, allowed them to win games. When Lonzo and his 42% on seven attempts per game left, that plummeted. And the Bulls finished dead last and by a lot in three-point attempts per game last season. And you saw it in that Bucks series. The Bucks were like, we dare you to shoot and make a three. And the Bulls were like, yeah, no, we can't do that. Series over. They did not address that this offseason. And Billy was asked that flatly yesterday at media day. This team clearly struggled to, uh, with their three-point shooting and volume last season. How do you feel that was addressed in the offseason? And then Billy rattled off the names of a bunch of guys who were here last year and are here again this year, some of whom can hit threes with regularity and some of whom can occasionally knock down a three if they're lucky and in the corner. That's, that's, not, that's not good. I mean, that was Billy's best political answer of a question he knew he didn't have an answer to at least a positive, truthful answer to. Yeah, it's a huge concern. So by and large, I think Bulls fans overreacted a little too much to this offseason. And the 
we didn't get Rudy Gobert. We didn't get Kevin Durant. What the hell are we doing? It's like, guys, fucking calm down. Take a breath for a second. It's also really hard to pull off an offseason like that two offseasons in a row. Because remember what happened last summer when they got Lonzo Ball? And then they got Alex Caruso? And then they got DeMar freaking DeRose? That was a big summer last year. If you expected that to do that again this year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And speaking of the like Billy listing like the guys <laughs> that are basically still here uh, during that answer, do you think that's like the team's belief that the guys that they have are just going to shoot better this year? That's clearly the logic they're relying on. I mean, is it feasible to think that Vooch can go back closer to 40%, not even 40%, but if Vooch, instead of 30 or 31 behind the three-point line, shoots 35 or 36, that makes you a little bit better. I mean, Derek Jones Jr. and and Javante Green both were knocking down their threes in the first part of the season, and then in the second half of the season, they went ice cold. I mean, like, post-All-Star break combined, I think Javante and Derek Jones Jr. went, like, one for 48 from behind the three-point line. Like, it was bad. Maybe they're better. Maybe they work on their shot a little bit more. Maybe Patrick Williams, with his 40-plus three-point percentage spanning his first two seasons of NBA action, ups his volume and continues to knock his threes down at a clip like that. Great. But outside of Zach Levine, whatever minutes Billy decides to give Kobe White, that's your next best three-point threat right now. And we know that Credit to Kobe for battling through a really tough up and down year last year. He's struggled with consistency with that shot pretty much his entire NBA career. And you know, you're not getting Lonzo's threes out of the gate and maybe not getting Lonzo's threes all season. So I think that that was their logic. Well, we didn't find a perfect fit as far as free agency additions to address our need of three point shooting. So we're going to hope not plan, hope let's be clear about that that the guys we have all get better at shooting threes and and as a fan it's completely fair to be frustrated by that because it's not a plan it's a hope do you think there's like a plan in place like if those guys shots aren't falling that come trade deadline they find somebody that can shoot maybe um i i'll I'll be fascinated to see Firstly, where the Bulls are as we approach the trade deadline. Are they in one of the top six seeds in the East? Are they currently kind of in the seventh through 10 play-in range? Um, Who's playing well? Who's not playing well? Who's healthy? Who's not healthy? And to me, the only way you'd see a a big, and not even big, like they're going to go out and get some megastar, huge name player kind of deadline trade, but even a substantial going after a bona fide knockdown three-point shooter kind of trade because that's not nothing and those trades are hard to pull off mid-season they would need to feel very good about where they are now and where they can go for that back end of the season um and the other thing that you have to consider there is what kind of contracts are at play because the bulls are under that tax line right now and i'm pretty sure to people making basketball decisions have instructions to stay under that tax line this season. So unless they can somehow convince 
grandpa upstairs that we're, we're this one piece away from making a legit run at the title this year. Hard to convince grandpa upstairs of that. I, I doubt that. I doubt that they do that. I, I, it's un, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because you always want to see your team be aggressive when they're making moves to improve their roster and get them one step closer to championship contention. But reality is reality. The Bulls could have been a luxury tax team this year if they wanted to be. They're not. All right. Um, no, a lot of um, the Bulls nation is hopeful that come six games into the season – the Bulls can wave Tony Bradley in. They're hoping Carmelo Anthony's still out there and pick him up. <laughs> does does that help three point shooting if oh, that were to happen? I mean, hey man, Melo Melo gave some good minutes um, in his most recent stop. I mean, I I've seen the Bulls fans who are like, bring in Melo. I old washed guys from the draft class of 03, been there, done that. As a Bulls fan, don't need to do it again. Don't need to do it again. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing, though, um, that we've seen with this organization, at least the guys that they have running it now, they're pretty good at what they do. Um, and we just have to – I don't want to say that none of us should be concerned, but we have to, like, just have more patience. Because, like, I even saw things floated around, like – I saw the mellow interest and like people were like clamoring for some reason for Jordan Clarkson. And I was like, are you all like really looking at the numbers that these names are, are really uh, putting out there? But um, the thing that I've seen with this organization is their just ability to kind of pivot, you know, they're not like locked into just one, um, one singular focus. But the good thing that we have going for us is that you know, they have this chance to kind of build this new identity with Monzo adding uh, P. Will into the mix that we thought he was going to, you know, have a big impact um, last year. But they do still have some time to build an identity and kind of determine what are the best moves for this organization moving forward. Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just about to say, am I alone on that? <laughs> No, I, I don't think you're alone on that. Um, I, I think if any Bulls fan who thinks that they're smarter than Arturis Karnaschovas or Mark Eversley is a fan who, like, to their credit, cares a lot about their team and thinks that they're right. And look, guilty hand right here. I think I'm right about everything Bulls-related all the time. I'm not, but I think I am. But what I try to do is at least put the work behind knowing what the F I'm talking about. Um, and you said when some people will throw these names out there, do they even look at these numbers by and large, the average fan? No, of course not. Cause you know, what's sexy. You know, what's cool to talk about names. Names are sexy. You know, it's not sexy numbers. True. And like, <laughs> I've, I've never been like a huge stat geek, but I know that they are important enough that you can't ignore them. So when people propose these trades, uh, that whoever invented that goddamn ESPN <laughs> trade machine, you know, feature on their website should be rotting in hell already. Because I swear to God, these fans were like, look, this trade works. I'm like, it, in only the smallest sliver of not reality, a.k.a. a website that somebody built and a little algorithm that lets you click on some buttons and hit go 
and then make you feel smart about the, the sport that you're following. No. You know who knows way more than that? The people getting paid to run the team. President of basketball operations. General manager. They know what's what. And that's why even if we can criticize them for not addressing the need for three-point shooting this offseason, that is a fair criticism. You, Based on what I have seen, since AK and Eversley took these jobs, have there been some questionable decisions as far as the results so far? Sure. No one bats a thousand running a front office. It's impossible. Have they made undeniably strong, positive steps to fix the broken shit that they inherited? Yes. And that's what I cling to. Anytime people say, oh, man, really underwhelming offseason, or why aren't they getting this guy, or why aren't they getting that guy? If they're not getting that guy, it's because they have a good reason to not get that guy. And that's what I think Bulls fans need to always remind themselves of and an important differentiation. The old front office that we all got sick of, I think that what they became guilty of was not getting that guy because they didn't know how, they didn't care, or they didn't want to. If this front office wants to make a move, look at everything that they have accomplished. They inherited a roster that was bad, that was going nowhere. And in less than two calendar years, outside of Zach Levine and Kobe White, have completely flipped that roster and turned it from a laughing stock into a team that just made the playoffs. There is your big picture when it comes to what this front office is capable of. What do you think? What do you think about Do you think he's got what it takes? I mean, he's known to be more of like a player's coach. The players love him. Um, everybody knows that he is very personable with them. He actually asks them about their days outside of basketball. But do you think he works with the way our team responds? Or do you think we would need somebody? You think somebody would be better um, better suited, someone with a personality more like Tibbs, like a, a different style of coaching? That That's a great question. And it's something I certainly think about often. I think Billy Donovan was a great choice for the new front office to make based off of who they just let go Mm -hmm. before hiring Billy Donovan. It's sort of like, it's, I wouldn't even call it an overcorrection, but they clearly went, we see who this guy is and how his players relate to him. Let's get a guy that everyone knows is pretty well liked by his players uh, other than maybe one or two headlines out of OKC in the five years he spent there with one or maybe two players, most players in the NBA would tell you, love Billy Donovan. Great guy, listens to me, cares about me, wants the best for me, knows how to communicate to players. They needed a coach like that. Do I think that he also has that elite level of win a playoff series because I'm going to outsmart the other person with a clipboard down the other side of the bench. I don't know that I can say confidently I've seen that for Billy in his NBA career. He certainly proved it at the college level. I mean, no college basketball program has won back-to-back titles since he did it with Florida and my dude, Joe Keem shout out. Um, 
I I I think I've made this comparison before, and I think it's a pretty astute one. Like I see Billy Donovan as a Doug Collins, and not the retired and special advisor to the Reinsdorf Doug Collins, mm-hmm. but a young, gorgeous, curly mullet Doug Collins. A late 80s Doug Collins who came in and was buddy-buddy with the players yeah. and let them have fun and got them, you know, jazzed up and ready to go. But was he the best X's and O's coach in the league? No, he was not. That's how I see Billy. And we'll see, you know, d- does he stick out the entirety of this big, long contract they signed him to? I'm not positive that he does. There's a good chance. I mean, you saw him and Zach and Demar at Media Day yesterday. Those three look like, you know, three musketeers, happy as clams. Like they loved each other. I there might need to be if the Bulls get to that. Okay, we're going from playoff makers to playoff contenders. Maybe there's a different coach that you need to get you there. Like Phil Jackson was needed to replace Collins to get them there. Yeah, but uh, I've made that like exact reference before. Like <laughs> Billy may be the Doug Collins. We might need somebody else to be filled to get this team to the finals again. And, and I mean, look, as great as MJ was, and then and, and then Scotty and Horace and BJ and all those other role players like rising up, you know, around him. Finally, do they win probably a title or two if they stick with Collins and never hire hire Phil? Yeah, probably. I mean, NBA by and large is about talent. The co- the elite coaches are known to be elite coaches for a reason because they get the best out of their players. But talent wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do believe that if Collins kept that job, maybe they don't win, you know, six titles in eight years, but they at least win a couple because MJ and that squad was that good. Yeah, in the same way with. Um with Donovan um, people forget that OKC had the, uh, the Warriors down three, one. So evidently mm-hmm. there was something that he was doing that was working, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of injuries kind of, you know, derailed what they were doing because I think it was in that year, I think it was um, Robertson, uh, like their primary defender who was pretty much locking up cl- clay yeah. uh, throughout mm-hmm. the period went down. And then that's when they started to make their comeback. So Injuries do kind of tell the story and don't necessarily tell the accurate story of what could have been. And we see that kind of a little bit playing out with this Bulls team. Like there's just been injury after injury after injury. Um, But again, I think that even like focusing on Lonzo, they're in a much better position to kind of navigate through um, this circumstance and and have a, a better go at it this year. Yeah. Um, if it, knowing the obstacles that are already facing them out of the gate might help things, maybe they can better prepare knowing, okay, this is what we have in training camp. This is what we have. This is what we're working with. Um, and then can you make adjustments when necessary as the season progresses? And I think that that is something that was a fair knock on Billy last year as his roster's availability changed. I don't think that they, and maybe he, if you want to put him at the, you know, at the forefront of that, who takes responsibility and accountability for that, did the best they could 
to alter the the game plan given the reality they now found themselves in. Um, and and I, I think I think that's a fair criticism. And if such things happen again this season, does does he handle it differently? Does he handle it better? I'd be curious to see that. I think we were all screaming at the TV when like we needed something to happen with these rotations or people are making like crucial mistakes and the players are left in. So I, I definitely feel that on like a spiritual level. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's crazy. And it's not just Billy, like a lot of NBA fans will be watching and whatever level of competency they have of knowing like the real hard screws of, of basketball and X's nose and plays and defensive, you know, uh, sets and things there can be certain obvious observations where you're like that guy's getting cooked mm -hmm. by that guy do something about that <laughs> and and then nothing and then a head nba coach continues to watch that play out and not do something about it and you're you know you're like will ferrell and zoolander you're like i feel like i'm taking crazy pills you know <laughs> i was like yeah because sometimes it's like billy call a timeout you have one yeah. Use it, please. Oh yeah, there are a lot of those moments too. Is it is it still better though than how the previous head coach managed their timeouts? Because I think yes, <laughs> most definitely. Anything is better than installing punch clocks at the Advocate Center. <laughs> I can't believe that was our lives for a while, you guys. Oh my god. <laughs> One of the things that I um just getting back to what they do well is just um, developing younger players. I, I think we've seen a good amount of development happen uh, with these, not just the younger players, but even some veteran players as well. Um, and with that being said, I know it's not a big transactional deal, but with them bringing in uh, Costas, do you, is there any type of like happiness that this brings you as far as bringing in a player who's, you know, fluid, athletic, can move, just somebody that they can uh, hopefully refine down the future and possibly segue into bringing in another big-name free agent who he is related to, possibly. Um, anything good out of this signing that you see at all? I mean, I, does it does it bring me any kind of joy? Sure. <laughs> like, I, I saw, you know, the pictures that came out from Media Day of Costa Santacumpo in a Bulls jersey, and it said Antetokounmpo across the back of a Bulls jersey. And I was like, oh, my God! <laughs> you know, like, Bulls fans have been photoshopping Giannis into a Bulls jersey, like, since he came into the league, or certainly since he became a star in, like, whatever year, three or four of his career. Um, do I think realistically that having Kostas now does anything long-term to maybe lure Giannis here? No, I don't. I mean... Timeline-wise, Giannis is under contract for three more years in Milwaukee. And I, I know he said something this offseason off the cuff about, like, hey, you know, maybe I'll play in Chicago someday. I don't know. You know, and, and Bulls fans were like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, it's just a guy saying something off the cuff. I honestly think that Giannis loves Milwaukee. He got a title there. They clearly have not only paid him handsomely for the – MVP caliber player that he is, but are, I think of like mind in trying to build up the community around the bucks in Milwaukee. And he, he, I, he strikes me as a very loyal guy. And they were like, he was like this, this bucks team took a chance on this unknown kid 
from Greece. And I, 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 I could see Giannis being a now rare breed of NBA players who spend their entire career in one franchise. Like, I know that that almost never happens anymore. Kobe did it even after his little dalliance with the Bulls in the summer of 06. Tim Duncan did it. Dirk did it. It's, it's a shorter and shorter list as we move on. I think Giannis could be on that list. Obviously, I would love for him, who is still in his mid to late 20s and has tons of good basketball ahead of him, to be like, all right, Bucks, I got you a championship. Maybe I got you two. I'm going to go down south an hour and live it up in Chicago and, you know, try and you know, bring bring a chip to this franchise. Does Kosas Antetokounmpo have anything to do with that? I don't think so. Not right now. As far as his basketball skills and maybe actually being a player that they could use this year, maybe. I mean, he's 24, so it's not like he's completely done and, like, all he is is what we see now. He could get better, but he's a pretty limited player offensively. Um, he's certainly not giving the Bulls any of that shooting that they need. But maybe a player whose size could be helpful on the defensive end. Given what we know about the fact that really Justin Lewis only has one of those two-way contracts locked down. There's been some mixed reporting about that from, from what I understand. Justin Lewis, which, you know, super sad for him with that offseason knee injury, he's going to be out, but he's on the, one of those two ways. The other two way, as far as I understand, is up for grabs in training camp. Malcolm Hill, um, you know, Costas and one or two other guys are going to fight for that second two way spot. Maybe he earns that spot and it would be really cool to see him do so. Uh, I don't have any like deep rooting interest in it because like I said, I don't think it means that Giannis is coming here if Kostas has a two-way contract with us, but it was it was a fun story to keep us entertained in, in the doldrums of NBA September. Yeah. Um, look, just looking at those other guys, uh, I think it would be hard for Kostas not to earn that two-way spot. Like <laughs> Carleek again, Carleek. And... Dude, man, Carleek Jones, we watched him ball out in Summer League. That dude can hoop. Yeah. Like that dude can hoop. We always say that one that one game he balled out. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always one. has that one summer league game. Man, you know who else can hoop in summer league? Denzel. Oh my goodness. What a <laughs> what a star. Brought brought the summer league championship home. And then Legend. couldn't hit the broad side of a ball. Hey man. That dude's got a banner. That hangs in his home. Except <laughs> <laughs> away from the Bulls for a second. You guys said the CHDO Bears uh, tailgate party. And a couple weeks ago, Dave was on here and he had like a critique of your eating habits. <laughs> oh, true. Did, did he oh. try to slide in some veggie burgers at the tailgate? <laughs> no. Uh, and I, I watched that episode that, that he did with you guys. It was great. It had me laughing. Um, he, all things considered, I, he, I, I came off probably better than I should have. He's, he's very kind. Dave gets in his fair jabs on me. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, Dave knows not to mess with me when it comes to, to my eating habits. Um, we eat differently. Um, and like he told you guys when he sat down with you, he says, it doesn't offend me, you know, 
the way that Matt chooses to eat and what his diet is. Um, he said, it just kind of concerns him sometimes. Um, I think it's fair and I think it's cute. And I think it's, you know, it, I, it makes me know that he cares about me. It's honestly, it's just adorable. And I take that to heart. I really do. Um, I get offended by his eating habits. He doesn't get offended by mine. I get offended by his because he's a good person and I'm a bad person. And I think that people who don't eat meat are dumb. I just do. I don't know if any of you guys are vegetarians or vegans or whatever. I like, dude, humans top of the food chain. And if people who don't understand that and embrace that, what? Oh, you know, the environment, meat, the meat industry, so bad for the environment. So it's like everything. You know how much water it takes to like run a garden? Like, a oh, we got to get all these vegetables out of the ground so people can eat their vegetables. That that takes energy too. I'm here for you, Matt. Like I I literally just finished watching this thing on like uh, pigs and how they eat. Well, pigs and hogs, how they eat uh, all kinds of like plastics and whatever. And like we're eating these things, and I swore off bacon. And I came here, and the first thing that my mom made for us like uh, our morning here running away from the hurricane was bacon. And I just went to town on it. Like, I didn't even think about it. It was just like, <laughs> it was like nothing. Like I had watched nothing. I had learned nothing. So I, I'm not to the point of calling people dumb who don't eat meat, but um, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, like, I think one of the favorite memes that I've ever seen on that beautiful dark twisted thing they call the internet is uh because people like send me bacon stuff all the time because they know i'm a meat eater they know i love bacon so if they see a fun bake funny bacon joke they'll send it to me and one that i saw was like you know um uh scientist studies show that the average vegetarian lives x amount of years i can't remember four or five five years longer than the average meat eater dot 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 five pointless miserable <laughs> baconless years and i'm like yeah you know what big dave always jokes about how he's just trying to help me live longer when he nags me about my diet and all the red meat that i eat and the way that i don't have enough vegetables this that and the other thing and bless his heart for wanting me to stick around longer i don't know why um but i'm dude, i'm here for a good time not a long time and meat's, <laughs> meat's delicious so that that's that i i am very stubborn in my ways if I go to a doctor someday and he tells me you got to cut out red meat i'm going to slap that doctor in the face and i'll think about it for a second and then i'll make a decision and move on from there but the first thing i'm going to do is slap that doctor in the face so how do you like your steak uh rare most cuts medium rare depending on the cut um and and never never anything medium or beyond if you cook that thing where you're starting to lose that that pink color in the middle and the red juicy berry middle you're you're ruining steak um i also don't eat it super rare like if you go to a, a restaurant like a steakhouse and order blue that means like they it's it's like a piece of ahi tuna but a steak and they serve yeah. it to you i don't like it that rare um but yeah rare rare most often is, is the way to is the way to go and best steakhouse in chicago Man, um, so I just uh, celebrated my 35th earlier this year with some dear friends at Gene and Giorgetti's downtown. Um, you know, just like the classic Chicago steakhouse vibes. 
That's you good. walk in and you're like, is this an old Italian family's home? Yep. There's like really like ugly, dark maroon rug on the first floor that also has a bar. And you're like, why am I in a bar that has a uh, like carpeting? Um, and then the, like the very peaceful, quiet, serene upstairs dining room at Gina Giorgetti's is like, it sets the mood beautifully. I love how the average age of the wait staff there is like 75 you know, it's like, it's the same dudes that have been working there since. for the last 50 years. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, um, you know, if you want the, uh, the sort of like downtown Chicago hip trendy vibe, you know, steakhouse on the river, um, you know, that that's another way to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like, I like do Chicago cuts good. Like they're great. Gibson's is fine. I think Gibson's is overrated, but Gibson's is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say Gina Giorgetti's. And then if I'm feel if, if it's like beautiful Chicago summer and I want to eat my delicious steak and have a glass of wine while like watching boats come up and down the Chicago river, then Smith and Walensky for sure. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Um, I was out there for Bulls Fest and took my fiance to Michael Jordan Steakhouse. And now she doesn't want to have steak anywhere else because she said the steak was so good. See, and there's more incentive for you to move. Look at that. Perfect. Come, come, Derek. Oh, that come cool. to. <laughs> you guys here. It. it, it, it. It's in the works, okay. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's hard to like go wrong with Chicago steakhouses. It's like, you know, most of them know what they're doing. This 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 town cares about <clears throat> its meat, you know, and they they tend to do a, a good job about caring about their meat, which is why when Dave bugs me about it, I'm like, you know what, dude? Uh, it's like it's part of who I am as a Chicagoan. I love meat. Because Chicago is a meat city. So leave me alone. Very meat and potatoes. But you need oh. some veggies, though. I am myself a carnivore, but you need veggies. You do need the veggies. A little eh. bit of balance. Eh. I, I, you're right. I, theoretically, scientifically, people need vegetables. I've, you know, I've always tolerated them. I've never embraced them. Um. Hey, just put bacon on it. There, there you go. go. Oh, just stalls it. There you go. Bacon. I, I I do make myself a salad for dinner every once in a while because it's not just Dave and it's not just, you know, my dear sweet mother who's like, have you eaten enough? Are you are you is your are you eating a balanced diet? Um, and I'm like, Ma, I'm 35, lay off. But also, no, I don't eat a balanced diet. Um, like I do make myself a salad for dinner once, maybe twice a week, just to like tell them and also tell myself, like, okay, at least I'm kind of trying. But you better believe that that salad has some bacon bits in it, like because <laughs> I I couldn't choke it down otherwise. I was just joking, Matt. You can't put bacon on everything. I guess you what can. Are you talking about? You can actually. No, yes, you can, but you probably shouldn't. You know, that's that's all I'm going to say with that. Uh, but um, Matt, we, we're going to be wrapping up here shortly, but we would be remiss without asking you, is there anything that you want us to kind of pass along that's going to be coming down the works with your show? Um, well, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're very excited about a new season ramping up and we will be 
uh, doing what we did uh, just at the tail end of last season with CHGO launched, which is doing a pregame show and a postgame show for all 82 games this season. So we're very excited about that. Will, um, you know, ha- is uh, is a tier one credentialed reporter for us who will be at all of those home games, some of those road games, bringing Bulls fans insider info from before games, after games, practices. The NBA just announced a press release like a few days ago that for the first time since the pandemic happened, they are going to let people back into locker rooms after the games. So we're really excited for Will to get that insider access as the credentialed reporter on our team. Um, He'll be joining us sometimes either in studio or remote for post game shows, offering his insights. Our guy, Mark K will be joining us for some post game shows. Mark K and Will are going to continue what they have been doing for the back end of this offseason, which is doing their sort of like uh, Bulls HQ episodes as a part of our CHGO Bulls family, uh, because, you know, those two were doing their Bulls HQ pod before being brought together with me and Dave, what we were doing. So we're excited about all of that. Um, We're also planning to do, uh, you know, you don't really tailgate the United Center, but we are going to do some events where we organize sort of like a United center takeover where we invite bulls fans to sort of buy up a whole section of the UC with us and go watch a bulls game together. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, and I can also tease that, uh, we have a really cool new partnership coming up this season with somebody very prominent in, uh, in the world of Chicago bulls. Um, that's all I can say. Uh, announcement will probably come pretty soon with further details, but we've got a new partnership coming up this season that we're, that we're really stoked about. Um, and it should be a lot of fun for Bulls fans. Hopefully, uh, it allows us to continue building our brand at CHGO of by and large being people who are fans who make content for fans and want that connectivity, uh, with, with fans in the city and, and letting them know that we are Chicago as much as they are Chicago while also because people are silly enough to let us have some pretty cool ties to people who actually play sports in this city. So. Excellent. We can't wait for that content to come out. We are definitely stoked to hear about that. Thank you so much. Of course. And and if I may, like, I, I know I mentioned that I listened to you guys' interview with Dave and uh, I loved it. Um, I like people ask me about my friendship with Dave and my working relationship with Dave a lot. And Sometimes I'm happy with my answers off the cuff. And sometimes I feel like I didn't do it justice. So I know you asked me a little bit about our chemistry and our background and all that stuff, but I actually, after watching him say such wonderful, loving things about me on your show and also teasing me, I jotted down a few thoughts. And if you would allow me, I would love to just share them with you right now. uh, Because I know that these thoughts are more well-organized than, than anything that I would be able to do by answering a question mid interview. Go ahead. (laughs) No one humbles me more than Dave, and no one makes me feel better about myself than Dave. And the fact that he does both of those things simultaneously is what fascinates me about him, makes me love him, and makes me want to be around him as much as I possibly can. Dave and I are complete opposites, and yet somehow also the same person. We'll take polar opposite stances on something and debate it vigorously, and fall into a heap of laughter the next second as we quote the same line in unison from some dumb 90s movie. 
He's my spirit guide. And luckily enough for me, sometimes I happen to be his for reasons neither of us fully understand. He's one of the best people I know. I somehow was lucky enough to have Dave fall in my life. And at the end of every day, if I've spread one one hundredth of the joy and love and positive energy to the people around me as Dave has, I call that a win and thank my lucky stars that he's in my life. I'm pretty sure I love Dave to a level much greater that he loves me. And I'm totally okay with that. That is yes. sweet. I love that. I, uh, very nice. Very touching. And I'm sure you were wearing your Birkenstocks while saying that. <laughs> no, dude, I'm at home. Not even Birks. I'm barefoot right now. <laughs> um, also, like, for real, thank you guys so much for inviting me on, for having Dave on. You guys are crushing this. I just wanted to say that. You guys have had a very, I'm sorry, like, I'm sure your your listeners are going to be disappointed by my bum ass as like, hey, here's our new episode. <laughs> you guys have been talking to Stacy. You guys had Adam Amin on. You were talking to Chicago's finest brew on your most recent episode. <laughs> like, shout out to you guys for getting Ronnie Brewer. You guys are awesome. What you're doing here is awesome. Keep at it. And um, if you're ever bored enough to want to talk to me again, I, I am always around. <laughs> Thank you. We thank you for coming yeah. on. Um, our listeners are not going to be disappointed with you. No. <laughs> yeah, they're so all... excited. So excited. <laughs> Matt, all... it's been an honor to have you and Dave on. We really oh, appreciate it. Like, dude, really honor is all ours. Um, you know, Dave and I have, as we discussed earlier, been on that grind for a long time. And most of what brings us joy day to day is not whether or not the Bulls win or lose. It's doing doing this with our fellow fans who clearly care as much as we care and care enough to do stuff like this. And I want to start a podcast. I want to start a YouTube channel because I want to talk about the bulls with other fans who love this team as much as I do. And one of the things that Dave and I have always seen eye to eye on is that that is what this is all about. And that's the stuff that brings us joy. So kudos to you guys and keep at it. Thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it. All right, y'all. Happy to. Thanks for the invite. See Red be good. Thank you for coming on. You're always welcome back. Peace. And that was our special guest, Matt Peck. Um, like I said, check him out on CHDO's podcast. They, they've got some exciting things coming up. Um, I'm sure, like we just said, that none of you guys are disappointed that we had Matt Peck on. I mean, it's Matt Peck. <laughs> It was great. It was such a good episode. I loved it. It was great. Yeah, especially that touching moment at the end. Yeah. Um, um, I'm just glad that we were able to be a part of that. Like, really, um, you know, it was just very touching, um, you know, and we appreciate um, the kind words that he had for our show. So thank you. Yeah. You, you, nowhere else will give you touching words from Matt Peck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was so sweet and you know a lot of I think men in particular have problems expressing their care and love for each other so it was that was really nice I really appreciated that well we're what so eight, if you seven... guys want to share share words with each other <laughs> <laughs> well this is trying to start stuff instigator the gasoline has been tasked to Melissa <laughs> Apathetic pigs on fire. <laughs> <laughs>
think so. <laughs> We're like <laughs> seven or eight days away <laughs> from the Bulls' first preseason game. So we're all looking forward to that. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode and another guest. Uh, keeping it with the outsider trend, we're going to have John Sabine on. So be on the lookout for that one. And until next time, go Bulls and stay safe, Justin Hurricane. I'll try. Like a gargoyle. Enjoy the toilet, too. <laughs>